Happy Monday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made. In 1991, Joe Johnston directed feature The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And Jim, we have a guest today that I have been itching to talk to uh, for quite a while. I realistically, this is somebody I didn't think we'd uh, we'd be able to get in touch with, but once again, uh, fortune smiles on us. So we're uh, privileged, grateful, and and overall just happy to welcome Danny Bilson, who is uh, uh, one of the two screenwriters on the Rocketeer. Danny's a writer, director, producer, movies, video games, TV, uh, you name it, and. Uh, and as we'll see, the entertainment world runs in his family. So, Danny, welcome. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. And thanks for thanks for writing the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, that that is one of the great pleasures of doing this show because we we've, we've uh, both had such great affection for this movie since the day it came out and and the source material before that. It is uh, it's a rare chance just to be able to say, hey, uh, this thing's made me happy for 25 plus years. So thank you. No, thank you guys again. It's uh, I think it's made me happier now, certainly than when it opened. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people have have found it through you know <laughs> stopping by at Blockbuster or having other people saying, hey, you really need to see this movie. It, it's a movie that you can watch again and again. And now with you know new generations of people finding this movie, it's it's always exciting to to hear about. We're hearing from a lot of people who have never seen the movie before. And through this podcast, they've they've found it, and now they're hooked. <laughs> so. Yeah, I wish uh, we had been able to make a few more for everybody. But uh, again, it was uh, it was a difficult uh, it was a difficult release for sure. But the, the really, really, really gratified to how beloved it's become um, over the years to the point where even Disney's making merchandise now. And and I'll say this straight up, but this was a, a lifetime dream of mine to make a, a Disney movie. I'm a huge Disney fan, and um, originally this was a Touchstone film, and at some point in the middle of production it flipped to a Disney label, and and it, actually, honestly, the producers were pretty upset about it because they felt it was going to hurt the box office, and because of the success of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Disney believed it would. I, I can't, I'm not, I don't even know if that's what hurt the box office, the Disney label, but it certainly helped the legacy of the film. And that is uh, something I'm just constantly rewarded by, that, that it's a Disney film and, and people appreciate it now. I actually have a lot of stories about the history of it and, and even recent history I've had with it. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll stop talking and let you ask some direct <laughs> questions. Look, well, actually, yeah, let, let's go back to the beginning. What was your initial contact with this property? I mean, it goes, it goes back years. I, I understand that. But how well, did you first it, come it, across it, this is a, uh, we're going to talk a lot about Dave Stevens because, and I get kind of choked up. Sure. Um, sorry about that. Uh, we, uh, Paul and I found the comic book at the Golden Apple on Melrose when we were working at a company called um, Empire Pictures uh, back in the day. We uh, sort of cut our teeth on straight to VHS uh, genre movies. We would, we worked walking distance from the Golden Apple on Melrose, which is a fantastic comic book shop. And we would dig through the bins. The eighties was a great time for comics. Uh, it was, we felt like people were starting to make comics for adults so we could experience them with the same sort of enthusiasm and wonder we had when we were kids. And I can mention a few at the time. The Dark Knight was really influential. Howard Chaykin's, oh, yeah. Howard Chaykin's American Flag was particularly influential. And we wound up working with Howard for years on our television shows after that. 
And then we found this uh, beautiful book, The Rocketeer. Um, we, Paul and I grew up uh, on movies of the 30s and 40s, as, as some of our idols did, like uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. We, we both were kids in, in neighborhoods where, the, in those days, they would run old movies and old serials on television in different formats. And myself, um, I was a lot more interested in those black and white movies on television than I was in my uh, elementary school. And so I would have, I was one of these kids who would pretend I had the flu and I'd stay out all week and just devour old films. And Paul, <laughs> uh, Paul had his own relationship growing up in Buffalo uh, with uh, certain stations that showed old films. When we met in college, um, we bonded our, over our love for... Uh, the era and the films. And, and one thing about The Rocketeer that when I see it, I don't think we ever could have gotten away with this now was the dialogue we wrote was completely uh, inspired by 1930s uh, films and the slang we were using. I mean, we love that stuff. I, when I see it now, I don't think anybody would ever let us get away with that. But I, I, I hope it's part of the the thing that sets the tone for the movie, but they, they wouldn't let you waltz with that. You mean, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We talk about that, uh, that kind of dialogue a lot and we're, you know, just well, chew, chewing say, on every piece of it. Honestly, honestly, I don't, um, I don't take credit for a lot of things, but I, that was Paul and I, that dialogue is all, uh, Bills and DeMeo, uh, and our love for old films. Ah, uh, that's terrific. And, I mean, there's a lot of stories, but I'm going to go back to the comic book and when we found it and how we got involved with The Rocketeer. So we fell in love with it, and we were, um, again, at Empire Pictures. We had made Trancers, and somebody else had made our Eliminator script, and um, we were about to go to Italy to make our first film, which was called, that I was directing, which was called Zone Troopers, which was about... Um, World War II GIs trapped behind enemy lines who find a crashed alien spaceship. And we wanted to make a World War II movie of the sort of B World War II movies that right. we loved. If you look at that film, there's a relationship between that and The Rocketeer because the dialogue is, is, is very similar. You know, it's funny, very quickly, Danny, somehow I had missed that movie when it came out and I have no idea how, but... Uh, well, I have a lot uh, of ideas how. Well, well there's that. <laughs> But uh, as we're recording this, I watched it for the first time, uh, uh, just finished it about an hour ago, oh. and I had a ton of fun. I thought yes. that uh, that movie was uh, was a blast. And, you know, you certainly see a few places here and there where, where, where maybe you wish you had a few more dollars to throw at it, but the, the, the dialogue is as snappy and pitch perfect as can be. Yeah, $500,000 that movie was made for in 1985. Really? Yeah. Wow. And there's, so the relationship between that and a Rocketeer is very important because um, we contacted Dave Stevens because we just loved those first those first six books. I think it was six. He, I just remember getting him into our little office on our Empire office, which overlooked La Brea Avenue, talking about our ideas for the Rocketeer. And a couple of things happened. One... A director named Steve Miner had just relinquished the rights, or his, his rights to the Rocketeer, he was trying to develop it, had, had expired. So, so Dave controlled the rights. We talked to him about our ideas, and, and the one idea that sort of his eyes like went wide was we said, we really would love to have Rondo Hatton, the Creeper, in the film. And we knew him from the Sherlock Holmes film. That's how I knew him from, uh, I think, Pearl of Death. Yeah. Dave like lit up because I didn't know this, but Dave was a huge fan of Rondo Hatton. And so this was like a weird synchronicity where he got a big smile on his face. And then we pulled out our 
pre-production uh, art for Zone Troopers. And we started telling him what we were about to go do. So this must have been the end of 84, because we filmed Zone Troopers in January of 85. It was either that or it was right after we got back. I'm sorry, it's a little bit blurry. It might have been the spring of 85. We showed him our designs. and our des- It must have been before, because otherwise I would have shown him the film. So it must have been December of 84. So we showed him um, the design for that Art Deco spaceship platform from the end of the Zone Troopers. And we showed him the sort of Cadillac Ranch Art Deco crashed spaceship and some of our ideas. And he gave us a free option at, in that room to develop the Rocketeer because he felt it was wow. more important to him that he found... I'm speaking for Dave, and this is my impression of it. But he found kindred spirits, which we absolutely were. He felt like... he We didn't have the money to option anything because we were just working at a B-movie company making, like, nothing. He gave us that. And then it was a six-year journey to, I think, the screen. But we developed it. Paul and I wrote a story. We took it to... When we came back from Italy, from Zone Troopers, we, this, is, this is pretty... Pretty cool. We, we heard, we got a call from um, Lloyd Levin, who was working for Larry Gordon, who was the president of Fox at the time. And I will say that Lloyd Levin to this day is, he's, he's uh, Paul and my producing partner on all of our, our newest stuff that's in development. So, so it's a long relationship. But we first met Lloyd because Jim Cameron had seen Trancers, our first film, at the AFM, at the American Film Market. And he told Larry Gordon and the guys at Fox that Bilson and DeMeo were the next guys to come out of B-movies that they should look at. So indirectly, Jim Cameron had a lot to do with starting our career. And some years later, I was able to, uh, I met him somewhere and I was able to tell him that story and thank him. We developed this story with Lloyd. We took it, and Dave, and we took it around town. And I think we took it everywhere because it seemed like it went on for a long time. It seemed like I pitched it a thousand times. We finally wound up in David Hoberman's office at, at Touchstone at the time. He could see, I think in his mind, and you'd have to ask him, but my impression was he saw the next Indiana Jones. Obviously, that's what we were trying. We wanted them to think that it was the next Indiana Jones. Yeah. They put it in development. What happened is that the original director was a guy named Bill Deere, who they attached to the film. So we probably spent a year or 18 months working with Bill on different versions of the story and then different versions of the script. So Bill was, the reason Bill has a co-story credit on it is because there are some of his ideas in the film. I'm going to have a hard time with some of whose line is whose. I mean, most of it's Paul and I, but there's occasional things from a few other writers who contributed. We worked very closely with Bill. We were up at his house all the time, and he was a really terrific guy. At some point, and I don't know why, I, I really wasn't involved in what the breaking point was with him and the studio. The way I heard it was they were delighted with Joe Johnson's success on uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and suddenly Joe was a new director of the film and Bill was replaced. And you'd have to ask somebody else because I don't really remember what the rub was with Bill. I really don't. But he was a terrific guy. Even when we went to the 20th anniversary screening, Bill was there in the audience and we uh, brought him back in the back to meet everybody else and Joe. And we consider him part of the Rocketeer team. That's why we we were okay with the uh, co-story credit. Because uh, there was a lot of story development that went on with Bill 
over those years. Now, I have to say, Dave Stevens was involved in everything the whole way. I mean, that's for sure. And at the same time, and you probably know this, or maybe you don't, the next, the second book Dave did, he only did two, Cliff's New York Adventure, was written by Paul and I. We, the way he gave us right. credit, it's like we get a thank you in the, in the intro, but those were our scripts. The Creek, wow. Rondo Hatton was in it. I mean, Dave's, I, I don't know if you've read those books, but Tina, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was Dave's. It was a tight collaboration between Dave Stevens, Paul and I, and Michael Kaluta, who is a fantastic uh, comic book artist who was inking it, as I recall, for Dave. Dave was the slowest artist in the history of comics. (laughs) And And that's why he was a perfectionist, and that's why it took so long for that book to get done. But we were actually writing that book at the same time as we were developing the script. And we had a very, very close relationship with with Dave. I just remember him being in our office a lot, our office at Warner Brothers, because also we, you know, when the Rocketeer was filmed, Paul and I were also making the original Flash TV show at the same time. So there's a lot of... uh, stories about that but you asked me about the beginning and the, and I'll let you guys get back in or I'll just keep oh. doing a monologue because it's, no, it's a long narrative the way it really started was kindred spirits met in that crazy little office we had at Empire Pictures on on uh, La Brea and it was a combination of the creeper and our zone troopers work where Dave felt like these are the guys to the point where he gave us a free option and we set off to develop the story. So it, it, it boils down to you had me at Rondo Hatton. It really <laughs> did. It really did. And it was like we were all smiling because I didn't know that he, you know, I didn't know. It was just, again, we all, the three of us, Paul and Dave and I, we just came from the same place creatively and or really the same influences. I mean, Dave has other influences, of course, like Vargas and sort of the way he drew women and all that. And that wasn't our point. That's that's sort of Dave's unique talent. For us, it was it was our love of old movies. Yeah. How how different was the original story, the original development of the story before what we saw was on the screen? How or, I, I understand about you know the the origin that you couldn't use things like uh, Doc Savage and other copyrighted characters. Correct. And, and, and that kind of change. But has was there anything significant in the difference between the way your first plot line went to the, the finished product that's on screen? Not significantly. There was our original ending, which I, I really, really liked, took place in the desert. The rendezvous was not at Griffith Observatory, although it was our idea to go to Griffith Observatory later on in the rewrite. In, in the original ending of our draft, and I'll be happy to send you a copy of it if you've never seen sort of that original draft. I think that's a hearty yes. (laughs) Okay, great. That's easy. Was a huge battle in the desert where all the flyers came from the airfield. It wasn't just cliffs. So all the planes came out as well as all the gangsters were in uh, cars on the ground and the Zeppelin overhead. So it was an air to ground, ground to air battle of epic proportions. And of course, you aviation folks. And by the way, Dave Stevens and Michael Kaluta were huge aviation fans. You probably oh, yeah. know you probably know that. That's why the auto gyro is in the in the film. That's where the GB I didn't know about I didn't know about the air. I loved aircraft of World War II because I'm a guy a kid from the 60s and I built all those models, right? Sure. But I didn't know about the air racing of the 30s and and the experimental aircraft of the 30s. Dave and Mike Kaluta introduced Paul and I to all of that. As a matter of fact, this is an anecdote. Michael Kaluta then designed, we did a seven episode run on this, uh, uh, not a run, we did seven episodes of The Human Target, and we wanted him in a, in a, 
in a flying wing aircraft, and Michael Kaluta designed that aircraft for that television show uh, in 1990. It was in the same era, a couple years later, maybe a year oh, wow. or two later. The, the, the ending of that was the biggest difference from our vision. Bill Deere had a few things that we went through with him where he had a, the mobsters and the meeting in the hotel and a submarine in, in the club and a submarine and stuff like that. We did a lot of drafts at this, but that went by the wayside. But my favorite ending was the epic battle where all the flyers came out from the airfield to rescue Cliff. And Cliff, of course, is the same situation on the Zeppelin. And then the gangsters, it was all moving as opposed to being in a fixed place. Now, I don't remember why it was changed as a filmmaker myself over the years. I can easily imagine it was a budget nightmare and, and it was cut for, it was reduced for budget. But some of the, some of the, some of the details are foggy. Because it's almost thirty years. Wow, that, that would have been just amazing to see. <laughs> yeah, you can read it though. All this. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all written. You can read it. Yeah, that's, oh, there's man. no budget on there's no budget on words generally. So that's yeah, that'd be great. Right. Uh, that's exactly. um, yeah, no, I love. It. You know, actually, we we really need to talk about this minute. But the only thing that I really want to know is what was the story conference like when you were coming up with titles for uh, all the different movies that Neville had been in? Did and I, and oh. I, have a, I have a guess about one of those too. Well, you know, I don't. Re- there's no story conferences on this film. It was always Paul and I in our office. Either Joe Johnson was sitting in a chair with us, or Bill Deere was sitting with us. And the names of some of the movies, I don't remember. But doing those is pretty easy. <laughs> Doesn't yes. take a lot of because we knew the films of the yeah, period. Right. So, so I think some of the a couple of those might have been Bill's idea. I, I think. The line of dialogue where he says acting is acting, but it's not acting, or whatever yeah. that. I think that was I think that was Bill Deers, if I recall. I mean, I remember a couple things that we didn't write. I kind of remember, and there was a great joke in the movie that the big gopher joke. Yeah, went, yeah that one was written by I believe Jim Kauf because he did a draft. I don't know what how you, the order you want me to tell these stories, but. We were on the movie forever, and and we did a million drafts. Then at one point, like development goes, they had Jim Kauf do a draft. And I remember that's what we kept from that draft, was that joke, because it was a great joke. And then Frank Darabont did some work on it. Really? And and I can't remember what work of his is still in the film. But I do feel like, the and I know for sure that the bulk of it was Paul and I, because what was really unusual was, and I really have to credit Lloyd Levin and Larry Gordon and, and the producers, when they started getting towards production, something happened that's very unusual in Hollywood at the time. They brought us back. And so Paul and I did all the final production drafts and were the writers during production of the film. And I have stories about that. One story in particular where we were called in in the middle of the night. But I really want to get let you guys do this in the order that you want to do this because otherwise I will just do a monologue no, for this about is, an hour. This is absolutely fine. This is very free. Yeah, we are along for the ride. This is terrific. I have to ask a question. Maybe you know who it, do you know anybody named Figgy? We were trying to figure out in oh, in yes. the billboard at the beginning of the flight where. Uh, the crippled GB flies over. Uh, now I forget. The wings, wings of honor. I know what you're talking about. No, I don't recall. That might have been a Joe Johnston thing or a Dave Stevens thing that was done because we didn't go to Santa Maria and we were barely on the set because we were in production on the right. Flash and it was really one of those embarrassment or riches that was frustrating. There was a, a really incredible night where they were the exterior of the South Seas Club was built in the middle of our Flash set on the back of the Warner Brothers lot. 
block because we had converted the New York street into Central City and we owned that street for a year. Like nobody else really shot there because they let our set deck stay up and it was all decorated for the Flash except for the Rocketeer. So the Rocketeer South Seas Club was built on the corner that we always use for the Flash and we had this great night. It was one night where the Rocketeer and the Flash were in the same space, except that I oh think God. the Flash was on location that day, or I, because I don't have pictures of the two of them standing next together, and I promise you, if the Flash was shooting <laughs> on the lot that night or in a stage, I would have definitely had John and Bill next to each other and gotten that the photo. Awesome. That, that was. That was our oh lives. God. That was that was our lives at the time. So we didn't get the we didn't get the fun ride of hanging out on the set all the time. I, I know exactly when we visited. We were out at the where the bulldog was yeah. once or twice and we were when they came to us we were there. And then of course there's this this incident where we were called in in the middle of the night to rewrite a sequence because of actor uh, opinions. Really? Oh look. <laughs> actor opinions. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, we'll get to it. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, um, Fair enough. Wow. So, oh, I'm sorry. You let me let, let Hal ask a question. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I wish. Yeah. Well, it, just focusing back in on the, this particular minute, this clip, we're talking about the the fictitious movies and things. I clued in right away that so Neville says tonight when we danced, I felt something move inside me, etc. And then uh, that Jenny comes back that great uh, that great look on her face. You said that to Greta Garbo in Napoleon's Mistress. So the movie's right. taking place in '38 and in '37. Greta Garbo played Napoleon's mistress in a movie called Conquest. So I always wondered if if that was somewhere in the back of your minds informing of course but you know I, I'm not sure what I don't know what Lisa said because as I recall was it Lisa or Joe's assistant at the time it, there was some of that may have come from you know I honestly I don't remember if we wrote that or if it was something that came we probably wrote it but it but but I don't remember that could have come from one of the other writers who had touched the script honestly but we could have. You just got to forgive me because it's 30 years and I don't remember exactly what. I mean, I, I remember a lot about... I, I, look, 85% of that script is, is Danny and Paul. I mean, that I can tell you right away. But there's places where other people touched it. Things happened on the set. I mean, it was a great... I think it was a great collaborative film. I think the biggest issue of production was the money. I don't know if anybody's talked about that, but if you had Joe Johnston on here... He would talk about the mud. They were squeezing him on the money the whole time. I will tell you that the South Seas Club sequence in the script was three times what it was on film because they cut days out of his schedule while he was in there, and we were all pretty crushed. Remember, the movie cost forty-two million dollars yeah. at the time, which was not it was not the biggest movie. I mean, it was more in the mid to high range, I think. But it was they wouldn't give any uh, leeway. And the one that I remember the most, because if you, when I, when you read the script, and I don't know if you have, but uh, again, you will, I love what we did in the South Seas Club. I mean, there was a gag where Cliff gets one of the palm trees and he's flying and he turns it into a battering ram and smashes <laughs> through a wind. I mean, there was, there was incredible stuff in there that, um, I remember they cut his days and it was kind of a disaster. We had to like cut a lot of the sequence down. And, and I know that Joe was probably more angry than anyone, but we were just really disappointed about the, that. Uh, the Grauman's Chinese scene uh, that was never, yep. as far as I know, was never filmed. But that uh, right. did that work with the flow of the scene? Because watching it now, it looks like having him stop and do, a, you know, rescuing somebody there and then getting his feet on the wet cement yeah it seemed like it would break the flow at that point it was a no i was cut for okay. money 
and and we thought it we thought it was terrific and and it would have been just perfect. You know, I can I can I think the greatest my favorite sequence in Superman seventy eight is the night he goes out and does his rescues because I felt like that gets to the heart of of what we love about Superman. Yes, that was a money cut that was very disappointing. Also, I don't recall anybody feeling like we're cutting it just because it's going to mess with the tempo. But you know, I could be wrong. It was a long time ago. Yeah, you know, I, I heard that about the uh, the seventy eight Superman with uh, Mankiewicz had added a whole bunch of scenes that would have been like really funny. It would have punched up. It, it kind of like the um, I know we're going to a different okay. movie, but the scene with the uh, with the robbery where Clark and Lois are going back and forth about two uh, hairbrushes, two credit cards, and things in the, in the that that kind of jokiness would have enhanced the character more, made him more you know, likable and things like that. And there were a bunch of scenes that they had cut out where he's looking for Lex Luthor and he grabs a bald guy on the uh, you know, uh, on 42nd uh-huh. Street and it's and it's Kojak. Uh-huh. It's, it, Telly Savalas. It would, yeah, it would, Telly Savalas would have had a cameo there, but they cut all that out because it was like, no, 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 it costs too uh, much. So. I mean, I, well, I don't want to digress too much. I have a lot of thoughts about Superman because I've actually taught a class about adapting comics and I show 70 to 78 Superman as a... Uh, as a great, as it sort of as the first blockbuster comic book adaptation, and so I, I have a lot of thoughts about. It. But let's go. We, uh, we, nobody wants to hear me yeah, talk no, about we, that. Someday, we do, we do know we do know some people that do DC cinematic. <laughs> <laughs> you might be called back on another show. But um, <laughs> there you go. But, you know, actually, let's hold off on it. This is a great. This is a great intro. This show, and I, I want you to come back in a couple of weeks here, and we can talk about stuff at the at all the denouement, all the the big showdown at the end. So let's, let's hold off on that. This is a great start for our week. Okay. But folks with questions for Danny, uh, we probably will have to schedule you at another time. But if, if you've got uh, questions for us or questions for Danny, please, uh, you can reach us out, out to us on all the social media. We're on Twitter at Rocketeer Minute. You can find us at Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Rocketeer Minute. The great big site, RocketeerMinute.com, where you can catch up on all the previous episodes and, and look at cool stuff that you know, people send us. So uh, check, check out the, the main site, RocketeerMinute.com. Find us, of course, on iTunes and Google Play and uh, leave us a good review on iTunes because that always helps. We will be back tomorrow with some more stuff and Danny will be with us uh, back in a couple of weeks so keep checking back. You never know when he's going to show up but uh, we'll we'll talk about this more uh, next time on the Rocketeer Minute. So until next time, over and out. Get him, kid.